Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hi, friend. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Katrina Crane. She is an emergency medicine physician and a speaker and an author. She and I have a very powerful conversation about racialized imposter syndrome. Katrina opens up my eyes to a whole other side of imposter syndrome that I had no idea about. So please take a listen as she graciously teaches us about racialized imposter syndrome. Hi, Katrina. It's good to have you here today. How are you? I'm glad to be here, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I would love to know what your experience has been with imposter syndrome so far. I've had a number of experiences with imposter syndrome, unfortunately, even starting as a little girl. Mm -hmm. For instance, I've struggled with just for instance, like me being in grade school and I actually took a standardized test that we normally take like about, I think I was in second or third grade Mm -hmm. and I made like the highest score um, in the school and I remember I had to retake that test because the higher ups of the principal and whatnot didn't believe that I actually could achieve the highest grade in school. And I was actually accused of cheating. My teacher was accused of cheating. Um, My mother was called in, so I had to take it again. There was no cheating involved, and I made the same high grade, in fact, even higher. And so, but having even even having experience like that as a little girl, like I questioned, like why would someone question my ability to do well on this test? So that's one, you know, experience as as imposter syndrome, even as an early age, because it made me like think about. I can have these successes, but do I need to hide these successes because uh, people are questioning my abilities? Mm-hmm. I've also unfortunately experienced imposter syndrome as, I would say, as a, as a female physician, mm-hmm. um, where people question you being actually the physician that's taking care of the patient, despite them, me telling them multiple times that I'm your doctor, I'm your doctor, but being even called a nurse. And I even remember I had an instance where I was taking care of a patient who had a particular medical condition and I'm an emergency medicine physician by training and we took and I took care of this patient they got great care and I reiterated this patient multiple times that I was their doctor and they you know I remember them asking for I need my doctor nurse (laughs) to come back in the room and speak to me and and so it's like why are you still despite me doing all these things for you identify myself as your doctor I'm the one leading and dictating your care Mm -hmm. but and there's and I love nurses there's nothing you know wrong with being a nurse yeah, but just sure. in that moment like why could you not why could the patient and I think the patient did understand that I was their doctor but they just didn't accept it. so mm-hmm. I must be a doctor or a nurse so that's definitely an experience there and then unfortunately I've also I guess experienced imposter syndrome as related to me being I'm actually I'm I'm a physician of color I'm African-American mm-hmm. and people questioning my ability so for instance I had a patient when I was a resident who she came in, older lady, unfortunately had a slip and fall. So she had like a little laceration that needed repair. Mm-hmm. And I saw this lady, I indicated to her that that's what, you know, we re- I recommended for her care and her questioning my ability to do the laceration. She said, I don't think you can do this. You don't look like the type of person that needs to do this. I don't want you to take care of me. What mm-hmm. are your credentials? Like she wanted me to produce my medical degrees, my medical license. <laughs> and, oh you know, gosh. I was with, and just that kind of experience just to just to, to say that I could do, you know, that's something that even we let, you know, trainees mm-hmm. um, do. And it was at that level that we could do that for the patient. And she 
and I was the doctor that was taking care of her, and she just adamantly refused to have me do that for her and walked out of my emergency room. Oh, and she felt gosh. uncomfortable with people like me, is what she kept saying, do that sort of repair on her. So that was a very negative experience, but you can imagine like having these different experiences, um, you can internally record those, and that can mm-hmm. really affect your ability to think, you know, all my excesses that happen to me, is are, are they, you know, basically chance, or is this something that I actually am deserving of? Yeah. And I would say especially for me, being an African-American physician, thinking about imposter syndrome mm-hmm. under a racialized lens is something that I do, unfortunately, have to think about and deal with. Yeah, and so do you find that external assumptions that you that people might that some people might have about you make it more of a burden because it's not just an internal thing like it's it unfortunately still very obviously externally motivated yes it is something that is burdensome because mm-hmm. like for me think about like race itself we know that race is a socio-political thing mm-hmm. you know it's not a scientific construct and so components of, 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 you can imagine, like racism has to deal with that social political construct and how what's considered the dominant race uses that power to devalue and disempower what's the non-dominant race. Mm-hmm. And key components a part of racism are oppression. And I think for me, the burden can come when you have to assimilate to a group that is not your group, so to speak, because assimilation itself is not wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not inherently negative. For example, you may assimilate doing a healthy diet and you're eating, you've been eating french fries every day. So it would be good for you to incorporate some fruits and vegetables. That'd be good for your wallet and your waistline. Yeah. But if I have to assimilate in a manner that I believe masks part of who I am and my true identity, I think that's dangerous and that contributes to imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So for instance, for me as a female black physician, assimilating to what is still dominantly a white male culture mm-hmm. is not something that I like choose to do. You have to conform the I feel like you have to conform the way you may dress, the way you may speak, so that you can be accepted as a leader, a good worker, and a trusted person. And that assimilation has happened, you know, for centuries. People do that for survival. Because mm-hmm. choosing not to assimilate can come at huge sacrifices. For example, I personally know physicians of color like myself who have locks and some people call them dreadlocks and the dread component is like another (laughs) conversation Mm. but it's just a way that you you style your hair you can Mm -hmm. style your hair if you want a variety you know patterns curls waves whatever and I remember when I was getting a new job as a physician and even in med school encouraged to adjust my hairstyle to look more professional Mm -hmm. I either cut my hair and I do have dreadlocks down my back or cover it with like a wig or some side of scarf because my hair could be considered unprofessional in some circles. Mm-hmm. And so someone telling you that the hair growing out of your head and styled in a way that goes back for centuries mm-hmm. for black hair is unprofessional. And it doesn't help when there are cases about politicizing black hair, such as I know there have been some Supreme Court cases where dreadlocks in certain work environments are considered to be not an acceptable hairstyle for certain work environments. Mm -hmm. So you can be in a situation where you love your hair, but you need a job to support yourself and pay your loans and take care of your patients. So you can assimilate this idea that this is unprofessional in this particular setting and cut your hairstyle and cover it. And so if you have to assimilate in that sort of fashion, I feel like you lose a sense of yourself, your uniqueness, your identity, and so any successes that may come your way from doing that assimilation, you may 
it puts you in sort of a weird place because you may feel like you don't really authentically deserve those because you're not authentically yourself, mm. so to speak. So you do have this internal burden, but that's that external um, aspect, I think, that's put upon you that can be very heavy. Excuse my ignorance here, but, you know, I'm a white woman. And if you, can I just clarify what, that I'm understanding it? Okay, okay is that fine with, for you? Sure, sure, no problem. Okay. So it's, you're really kind of stuck between assimilating in order to meet a certain professional standard that is has racism at its core, or, and then you're really kind of going against your authentic self. So you can assimilate with the goal of getting rid of the external judgments. Or you cannot do that and own who you are and be comfortable and authentic, but then risk all of the external negative judgments that may come your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, that's, I feel like, at least for me, that's the, that's basically what I deal with on a like regular basis. Because let's say that like, like some of the examples I gave you, you can sex of like, I'll say the racialized lens to imposter syndrome can have on you. Mm-hmm. But let's just say, let's think about it from like trying to balance those two things you mentioned. So are you not going to go for a leadership position because you traditionally don't look the part? Mm-hmm. There's that aspect because what if you're living in your true authentic self where you're not set into the culture so maybe you feel you, you wouldn't get that position maybe you're the most qualified but you don't feel you would get it for that mm-hmm. reason or let's say you do assimilate and you know you get the position not saying that you wouldn't get it otherwise and let's say you're the first one doing that and you're fearful that if you fail you would ruin it for others subsequently may look like you so i feel like in its own way racialized imposter syndrome actually has oppressive components like if i can't be my um, authentic self that actually begets repression, right? Where you can suppress doing things that you feel like you should, act, you can actually do because you're you're trying to balance that external and then internal conflict, and that mm-hmm. can result in you carrying around this inferiority. So, like, it's a heavy weight; it's a burden. Yeah, and that can last a few seconds, like for some people, but for many people, it can last seemingly a lifetime. Wow! So, throughout your career and all of these awful things that have had to endure through no fault of your own, has anything been helpful for you to kind of push past those moments and continue to succeed? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, number one is recognizing, you know, like podcasts like yours, like what is imposter syndrome and then Mm -hmm. the different components of it. And then number two for me, I, are there ways to ask myself, you may be in a culture you have to assimilate or whatever that means for you. But are there ways you can carve out avenues for you to be your authentic self, even if you're injecting a little bit? So, for example, mm-hmm. being like a position of color in medicine, like we know, like there's, you know, everyone knows, like there's, there's racism in every aspect of society. So medicine mm-hmm. is not unique to that. Right. So I've tried to bring dialogue, like even through curricula or events to, you know, address like looking at racism in medicine, just as we would look at, look at it as a social determinant of health, mm-hmm. as they're trying to better understand that so that we can come up with solutions for treating that. And that to me should be no different from, you know, learning how to diagnose and treat preeclampsia or, or an aortic dissection. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those, that is some way I try to combat that. I also advocate for people to have what I call kind of like mask off and mask on mentors. Hmm. So you can say like a mask off mentor is someone you can be your complete, unadulterated, unfiltered self Mm -hmm. where you can, you're there, that's you, either it looks pretty or not, but that's you. 
and then sort of your mask on self. You're not your complete authentic self, admittedly, but in that space, can you, with that particular mentor, can you learn how to inject little bits of yourself to help combat that sort of feeling almost, uh, it can make you feel sick when you're like not being your authentic self. Mm -hmm. So give an example, maybe you know that you would be a great CMO for the hospital and that's your goal. So maybe you start out working on different hospital communities and leading and maybe doing talks about professionalism. And so in doing these talks, like somebody like me, you talk about, you have images of people with dreadlock, you don't have policies against certain hairstyles. Mm -hmm. And so you're injecting authentic pieces of yourself maybe eventually, you know, you're working to be a CMO and the people who you've been working with in the trenches to see you and they're getting those little components that, you know, this is not, you know, an unprofessional hairstyle. So let's say you, you could and they see that and you're going along your trajectory of your successes and that just looks like mm -hmm. normal to them. So that's one way that I feel like injecting little pieces of yourself can really help. I also think you can, you're supposed to see yourself in what you want to do. I feel like visualization is very important. Yeah. So if there's something you're trying to accomplish or do, you should visualize yourself doing that role and just see it so you can believe it. You recognize, like, I guess you could say, you know, some believe in manifestation. You're trying to really visualize yourself. And then I feel like when it comes to you, you can really see that, hey, I can do this and I can do this well. And mm -hmm. also something I think that especially women should do more is brag on yourself even just a little. Yeah. Right. Maybe you do look really good in some outfit today. And you're not trying to get compliments from that, but recognizing you do look good in that outfit. Mm -hmm. Yes, you did something critical that saved the patient's life today. And you should be applauded for that and applaud yourself for that. And so when you're doing that, you're accepting that this stuff is not so much left due to chance. This is your being your authentic self in some degree. And then your accomplishments and your achievements. That's why you've been able to achieve these other things. So you do have to brag on yourself a little. So I try to do those things to help combat the internal external conflict. Yeah, that's great advice. So is that the kind of thing like that you used to in order to overcome those really those setbacks for you, like going through college and medical school? Yeah, I found those things helpful to me. Mm -hmm. And even like thinking about like, you know, race, like thinking about, like I said, racialized imposter syndrome, it doesn't actually, it, racism can be very much a component of that, but it doesn't, you don't have to be amongst people of like a different race or different cultures to necessarily feel the effects of that mm -hmm. so for example let's just say at least like there's and i've experienced this as a black um physician there's this implication that means so concept of you're acting white as it applies to like achievements especially like academic achievements mm -hmm. so saying that implies that being non-white is synonymous with being unintelligent mm -hmm. and by taking away someone's culture and comparing it to like a white person every time they show their intelligence or achievement is implying that you can't be a person of color or smart. You can't be both and smart. And so there's racialized peer pressure against high achievement that, that does exist in certain communities and the black community being one of them. So you can feel like an imposter yourself when mm -hmm. you're um, hiding, you know, you may try to hide your academic achievements. And so that's something like, you know, as a little girl that, like I mentioned earlier, that I would yeah. experience and deal with. And so even before I knew <laughs> what I was doing to try to help mitigate that, and my mother and my parents would really help um, encourage me to like, you know, you know, brag about, you know, you, you, you did this, you're doing this, you, you know, you are smart. You, mm -hmm. you, you did, you did, you studied, you did the work. And that's why you're seeing the success of it. That's like something that you, you do have to do to get through all these things. So I feel like I've used those components throughout my life. And just as I've gotten older, I can sort of 
in my mind actually have like a name for what they are. Yeah. What you've uncovered here, which, you know, I think that we all need to be educated on is how deep these terms and things that we don't even really think of many of us on a daily basis, like what it really means to physicians of color, African-American physicians. And I think that's the importance that I think to shed light on and that you, that you really helped me see here is that things that I've taken for granted and other and maybe other physicians have too, it's adding to the burden, which unintentional or not is not what we need to be doing, especially, you know, in 2020. Yeah, but... And just even having the the insight and it's a revelation that, you know, like even something like imposter syndrome, like it, it, I know it has its own definition. Like if you look it up at people, it's this, but it can be so segmented. Like, you know, we can have different, like you said, it's deaf. It's it's like a little, what's that? You know, like the kind of like the, uh, during Christmas time, how you're opening up the little box and there's another box and a little box. I forgot what that's called. Yes. Yes. Like Um, the Russian, what are those, like the Russian dolls, like. Yeah, it's like, you know, there it's like this one big doll, but there's so many little pieces inside. And I yeah. feel like things like imposter syndrome definitely have that. Yeah. And I appreciate, you know, podcasts like yours where you can, you know, really people would think, oh, how can you, you know, keep talking about imposter syndrome? Like, seems like you can talk about it one time, but no, right. like, <laughs> it, has, <laughs> it has so many different layers. It does. You and it cover each layer. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone has different experiences, you know, and I think that those experiences, especially the one you described as a child, like those shape you and really affect you as an adult, even though you know that that was wrong and that should have never happened. Like you can't help how it made that child feel in the moment. And that child is still part of who you are. So it shapes their experiences for yeah. you know, the rest of your life. Even when I was in med school and I, I have an experience where you know, you do those standardized patient encounters. Yes. And then I know there's it's supposed to be like a semi-safe space where you apply your medical knowledge and you get feedback. But it's still graded, so let's call it like semi-safe, semi, mm-hmm. uh, semi-safe. But I remember completing that encounter and getting every critical action right and, you know, being graded, you know, very well. But my particular examiner did, you know, we did the encounter, then you get feedback. did mm-hmm. bury me down on... on an aspect that was related to professionalism and I said well I'm in my white coat I'm, I did it I'm not quite sure what was your feedback about that like how did you feel like I was being unprofessional and they graded me down on my speech saying that you know I'm from the south and that the the way that and they were not southern or whatever that means but the way that I spoke it didn't feel it felt a little uncultured to them and that I didn't know what I was talking about and that they didn't couldn't really connect with me and I thought that was interesting because you're saying that the way I may say words, you know, just the way I was taught to say it, me growing up as a woman in the South, as a black woman in the South, but just the interaction like that, it makes me, made me mindful about how I speak to others, how I express my addiction. Because if mm-hmm. I'm not speaking, I'm sure I sound different when I'm speaking to a fellow Southerner, so to speak, and someone yeah. who's not, because I don't want to be so-called judged for, for like being unprofessional or uncultured, which is not the truth, you know, in my, in my particular opinion on that. But it's an example of, you know, at that moment, like, wow, I'm feeling like an imposter even now. Like, did I, yeah. you know, really deserve this grade? Because you're saying, like, I'm being unprofessional when I don't think I am. But it can mm-hmm. just really shake you at the core and, and question you in everything that you do. You know, the, the important thing about that, too, that I'd like to bring up is why is the burden on you, right? Like, mm-hmm. in that situation, why is it not on 
the other person to say, hmm, like maybe I need to open my eyes here and say like, and question why I'm feeling that way. But so few, and even adults now, I think are even ever taught to think of it like that instead of having an opinion, because that's what it was. It was an opinion, not a fact mm-hmm. about someone. And then assuming that they're the ones who are you know, abnormal or being unprofessional, or they're the ones who are different instead of assuming, whoa, like I need to take a step back here and question why I think that because I could be the wrong, like I'm the wrong one. I'm the one who's different. I'm the one who needs to, you know, figure things out. The burden needs to be switched. Yeah, I totally agree. And so it just makes me think, you know, because I have instances where I don't necessarily think I'm always right. Where, where like you, you listen to some uh, another person's experience, another person's perspective. Women, I do find that more with people of color, but does they have to deal with? We're so mindful of our own experiences and how that's different from others. Are you more willing to actually, you know, listen to a different perspective? Where right. that's not really your experience, your perspective. You feel like this is the way it goes, and this should be the right way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's interesting because. I think it goes back to um, just a lot of the cultural um, things that the way things are set up in this world. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, conversations like this one and, you know, or anything that feels different to people, I think we're scared to talk about it because we're not taught to lean into the vulnerability that it takes in order to be in the moment and just listen to someone else's side of the story who has lived a different life than you. And we're only hurting ourselves by avoiding the conversations. You know, I'm far from perfect and I'm still learning. But what I found is just like taking off my own ego and leaning into the vulnerability here and saying like, there are so many things in this world that I don't know about or that I've done wrong. And I just want to fix it. Like, I don't want to worry about hating myself because I've messed up. I don't want to worry about people judging me because I've messed up. Like, Mm -hmm. I just want to lean into the vulnerability and, and learn about other people. And I think that we could probably use a little bit more of that in this country in general, you know? We definitely could. We have to be more, when I say comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. That would change a lot of things. Like, because you can be, and it goes back to the kind of like the mask off thing. It's like, if we could all just have mask off moments and deal with the effects of it, whether it's negative for some or positive, at least it's authentic and real and you can deal with it versus having like a more of a mask on way that we interact with each other. It's not even our interactions with each other can be, you know, inauthentic. If we Mm -hmm. really just interacted, you know, as we want to, as we really feel in that that authenticity, I think that would help at least spark conversations. Yeah. And if you just have to get rid of the ego, I think there's a place for the ego, but it's not in conversations trying to learn about other people, right? I don't think anyway. This has been a really powerful conversation. I feel like I want to have you on again, so like a part two of this, if you don't mind. Oh, I'd be more than happy to. If you don't mind, if we could close with some advice for learning to be your authentic self despite consequences if you could give people some advice about that i think that when you're not being your authentic self what you're trying to do is basically make yourself palatable to others so to speak Mm -hmm. right like if we think about like broccoli like i love i actually love broccoli (laughs) (laughs) i know that people don't like broccoli in its authentic form for some can be like distasteful and they don't like it and so people can do different things broccoli you know put salt on it you know boil it cook it to death and in doing that you may actually um you know miss the key 
um, nutrients broccoli is trying to fortify your body with. So I look mm -hmm. at that way with when I find myself trying to make myself more palatable to others, you're, you could be possibly missing out on what I could bring to you. I have, I do have value to bring. And so my advice is people just recognizing that could be trying to achieve palatability at this moment and mm -hmm. accepting that in you being your authentic self, that you may not be palatable at that moment for others, but then recognizing just like you can develop a taste for broccoli. You can also develop a taste for that particular palate. So mm -hmm. I think recognizing that and working to just be your authentic self as much as possible, whether it comes with, you know, negative consequences and hoping that in that you will see change in others because yeah. they see that that's you and that's your norm. And I think people are definitely interested and they respect people who are being their authentic self. And so mm -hmm. that's one thing I, I try to like think about that and recognize that, but then work through that. So as instance, I remember when, you know, I like to get my nails done and things like that. And I have a friend who also does that, but um, she will not do certain colors. Like she won't do mm -hmm. blues or greens or yellow because she just feels like, you know, she can be looked at as being unprofessional. And I say, hey, you know, I'm a doctor. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you're worried about, you know, my purple nails and I'm trying to save your life, like I, yeah. I can't, I, <laughs> so yeah. I well, you, yeah. you can't move, move on. Yeah. <laughs> move on. That would not be my <laughs> first thought of someone trying to like take care of me and save my life. Right, so exactly. I, I work through that. And, yeah. you know, if I want purple nails, I, I wear my purple nails and I take great care of my patients but just just even little things like that they can they can seem in name but they're actually really important in um, working yeah. and being your true authentic self yeah that's great advice I like the metaphors too Patrina thank you very much for all your time and your insights it's been really um a really a powerful conversation for me so I really appreciate it oh, thank you yeah it was fun yeah I'm glad we could have it me too